everybody. It's great to see you. And you guys are really quiet tonight because it's so packed. Like, you get, like we're so scrunched in here, we can't really move, we can't breathe. Um, it's good to be here. It's an exciting time of, time of year right now. I'm, I'm kind of like this type A personality, so I have to plan for everything, and everything always has to be perfect. And so, so whenever uh, you know, I anticipate the turnover for a year, um, I have to plan for that. I have the goal charts. I have um, the things that I have goals for for me as a person, as my family, and as my career, and who I want the people around me also to be. And I type these out and prioritize, and and goals are very, very important to me, and it's disgusting. And so so I always feel like if I don't have it all done uh, by December the 31st, it isn't going to happen. which I don't know where that came from at all, um, but there's this feeling of anticipation for me. Like, you know, I need to have a goal, have an expectation, have a promise of what the upcoming year is going to hold. And a bunch of us have that. It's like, it's, it's like, oh, wow, we're so glad that 2014 is over with. You know, 2015 is going to be our year. I've, I've heard that so much like, you know, it's been so hard, but, but things are going to be different. It's going to be great now. And the thing is, is I remember this past year going, man, 2013 was a toughie. I'm so glad 2014 is coming. But then I, I remember thinking on 2012, the same thing, and 2011, the same thing. And it, but I remember always pointing ahead, tomorrow will always be better. This upcoming year will always be better better and I plan and I scheme about, about the things that I have to do that, that my family has to do and my friends have to do to make it awesome. And in my head, I dream about how things could be in the upcoming year. It's like, it's going to be magical. Like, like heaven itself is going to ask us to come and play in 2015. And that's, that's how I feel. And, and every year as I am, am planning out the things that I have to do at the top, always at the top, it says, I'm going to exercise more, right? Like, I got to tell you, it is so hard being up in front of you um, after the Christmas season. I mean, we all ate the same food, you know? So, so, so just picture being up here in front of totally everyone. I know I'm chubby. Like, I feel chubbier. I, I feel bloated. I have salts. Like, it's just, it's a bad thing. And, and, and so at the top of the list, every year, it's like, I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to exercise every day. I'm going to exercise twice a day. I'm going to go in the morning, go in the evening. And I'm going to be awesome by June. And just like, boom. And, and, and I always have this good indicator to me that says that I'm on the correct path. I'm on the correct path, and you guys are going to be like, whatever. But this actually happens. So I know if I'm healthy and I'm, and if I'm feeling good, if, if whenever Pastor Matt Rosenbaum gives a sermon, sometimes people think it's me. That's right. Like, people confuse the two of us. And yeah, exactly. There are people going, what? Exactly. Like, he is the most attractive guy I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's like, how could you possibly confuse the two of us? Like, Brad Pitt would be like, yes, please, confuse the two of us. And so, so for me, it's just like, wow, you think I'm mad. 
I'll own that. I'll take it. And I feel good about myself. But that hasn't happened since October. And so I'm kind of feeling like, all right, you know. And so whenever I come to that point of like, man, I'm just, I'm a little, you know, I'm 10, 20 pounds over. And then I turn OCD about calorie counting. As I said earlier that I'm a, a type A personality, right? And so I become this calorie counter that's just insane. I have this app on my phone that counts calories. And then I begin to count people's calories of the food that they're eating. I'm disgusted by what they eat. And it isn't only at our house, but if we go out to eat and there are people at the table by us eating, I'm like, oh my gosh, do you see what they're eating? And like, so, so, so back like a couple days ago, I was kind of even in the Bible and I was going through these stories in the Bible and I was counting the calories. Like, okay, so people never think like this, but, but, but think about it. The boy, the boy who had the five loaves of bread and two fish. You're laughing because you know exactly where I'm going. And, and people's like, oh, he barely had any food, but he offered it all to Jesus. Whatever, five loaves of bread? Like, do you know how many calories are in a single loaf of bread? Okay, so, 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 so like a, a thing of bread, like that'll be like 1,200 calories possibly. But even if we say it was just like a French baguette, um, that's 750 calories. And say he had five of those guys. Like, Whoa! And then he had two fish, and I don't know how big the fish are, but say they're tilapia, right? So say these two tilapia, five hundred and twenty-five calories. So 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 this kid in the morning, like he packed his backpack with five French bags baguettes and two tilapia for the day. This kid was a chubby kid. Like, like he's like, oh, I don't know if this will be enough. You know, we got to fill this backpack full. He goes, I'm going to be out all day long. There's over 5,000 calories in that. It's ridiculous. But he's packing his backpack full, and I just see him. He's like this sh- sh- short little ch- chubby guy, and he has his hat backwards, and he has his backpack on, just full of food. It, like, it doesn't even just fit in the bag. Like, there's a French baguette popping out the back of it. And, and he's going off to follow Jesus and to hear what Jesus has to say. Because Jesus is the guy that's going to talk about life to the fullest and having life to the fullest. And we all want to have life to the fullest. And, and here's this rabbi who comes about doing his thing, and, and people are saying that, that he's teaching how to have a life that is truly life. And that's the thing that we're all going after at the turn of the, the year, right? It's like, how do I make this upcoming year awesome? How do I look back at the end of it and say, man, that was the best year ever. How can we make it magical and say, this was life well lived? That's what I try to do, but I often have a hard time finding inspiration, having a hard time dreaming about it because I often feel like I'm too chubby and my backpack is too heavy, full of things that I think that I have to have, but it's just way, way too many calories. And so, so we are on this journey with this chubby kid with his hat backwards in the backpack following Christ because he promises that if we follow him, we will have this, this 
life that is actually life. And we're in this sermon series called Content, and we are at the end of it. We're at this sermon series um, called Content because it is a common practice of being very discontent. And the past three sermons, over and over again, we have painted this picture of how common it is to be discontent. And for me, whenever I hear that almost everyone is discontent with the things that they have and the place that they are and possibly even the directions that they're going, it, it comes down to a deeper core than that. It isn't just being discontent. It's just being unhappy. It's just being unhappy. It's something that you and I have in common, if we're truly honest, is that, that we're just unhappy with things. We're just unhappy with the things that we have and the, the, the things they could give back to us and the stories that we hold. And so that unhappiness brings discontent. And the idea that we're able to achieve something greater is out there. So we keep striving and chasing with our backpack full. And so we have been in this sermon series. We've been focusing on this, this tiny passage in 1 Timothy that the Apostle Paul, he's talking to this group of people who has done a great job. Like they, they are the people who are the financial gurus. Like they are rocking it and, and they've done great and their town is great. Their economy is great, but they are unhappy. It's like, huh, what is it to truly live? What is it to truly live? Is it even possible? Is it even out there? And the Apostle Paul says, it is. It is out there. And so we have been picking apart this passage in 1 Timothy and saying that it is possible to actually be happy. It is possible to actually be content. It is possible, but it's elusive and it's hard. And it, 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 do you know what I mean? Like, it's just right there. It could be in 2015 or 16 or 17 or 18. <laughs> but today, we are at the end of the sermon series, and we're at the end of the passage. And I'm someone who I always, if I pick up a book or something, I will always go to the end of the book first. I don't know. It's just a really bad habit for me. But it's like, I have to know how it ends so I can have control over the whole story. I am control hungry. And, um, and so anyway, so, so the end of this passage is awesome. It's 1 Timothy 6, 19. So if you have your Bibles, hit it up. All right, so here we go. So I'm going to just jump to the end. And th this is how the passage ends. It says... So, in conclusion, so that they may take a hold of the life that is truly life. And so, so he says all these things. He says all these things. And at the end, he's like, and so, in summary, if they do all these things, they will have life that is truly life. And so if I have a 
book or a story, and that comes at the end of it, say a self-help book or something, I'm going to read that. Like, it's like, oh, he found the answer. Like, like he's come to it, like, so that they may experience life that is truly life. And it's like, yes, I want that. I don't know if I've had that yet, but I want it, and I want everyone around me to have it, and I want the church to have this. And so, so if I'm actually pulling apart this pack, I'm going to st- stop here. Like, I got it. Like, like... Holy Spirit um, saying, stop, slow down, you're crazy. Um, so I want to experience life, right? I want to experience good things for people. I want them to see the goodness of Jesus. And, and my head just gets going with these things. And so, and, and so all of a sudden, I start creating ideas of, of how that should be and how, how the church should be and how people in the church should be. And, and it kind of reminds me of this old story of this this guy. He's an old, old guy, and he has a super tender heart for people. And and it's pouring rain. It's pouring rain outside, and he's banging on the door of his pastor's house. And it's pouring rain, and he's standing out in the rain. He's banging on the door of his pastor's house, and the pastor opens the door, and he's like half asleep. Sleep. And it's 12 o'clock in the evening, and he's like, how can I help you? And he's like, sir, kind sir, because this happened a long time ago, he says, kind sir. Like, people don't talk about this anymore. Kind sir, please, you must help me. You must help me. There's this family who is, who is falling apart hard times. And, and, and the husband of the family, he just got fired from his job, and they have Two kids, and they both have the flu, and they cannot afford to pay uh, pay rent, and their heat just got shut off. The guy who owns the house just shut off their heat because they couldn't pay it, and they, they had to get the plumbing shut off, too, because they couldn't pay it, and, and you have to do something. The church has to do something to help this family out. Can you do anything? And so, so the pastor says, well, of course the church can help, but um, but." Tell me more about who this family is. And, and he had these tears, and he said, well, the daughter's two, and the son is four, and, and the, the, the daughter, she wants to be a ballerina. And, like, he's just telling, like, picking the story apart and the, who these people are, and, and it's just beautiful and good. And it's like, but is there anything you're able to do to help this family? Because if they don't pay by tomorrow, they're going to be kicked out of the house. Can you do anything to help these people pay the bill so that the guy who owns the house does not kick them out? And the pastor says, well, of course we're going to be able to help them out. That's what the church does. Um, But who are you as far as the family goes? And he puts out his chest and he stares the pastor in the eye and he said, well, I'm the guy who owns the, the house. You see, a bunch of us have a heart for people. And we want to see people be helped. But we often don't want to open our backpacks to serve them. And we don't want to offer what is ours for others to experience life. 
Because we're often skipping to the end and we're getting excited about the end, about what the church should do, that we often forget that we are the church. And that if you are not generous, the church is not generous. And if you do not share, the church will never share. And if you are not doing good things, the church will not do good things. We should never skip to the end and just say, it's all about experiencing life. So the whole passage is simply this. 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this, that they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take a hold of a life that is truly life. So he says, share, be generous, do good deeds, and by these things you will store up treasures in the ages to come, so that you will have a firm foundation. And you will experience life that is truly life. He says, share, be generous, do good deeds. And then the evangelical church is like, whoa, we don't know about this because, you know, Jesus does everything for us. And here's the deal. Like, tonight we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about how to get into heaven. You know, so is it possible to get into heaven and to not be generous at all. You are Ebenezer Scrooge pre-conversion. Yes, it is possible to not be generous at all and be saved by the grace of Christ. Is it possible to be saved and to not share with a soul? Absolutely. Is it possible? Yes. But tonight we're not talking about how do we escape hell and go into heaven. We are talking about how do we experience life here now. That's the thing that's on the table tonight. How do we experience joy and life today? And the Apostle Paul himself says, share. You will find joy and fulfillment in sharing. He says, be generous. You will find joy and fulfillment in being generous. And do good things. You will find joy and fulfillment in doing good things. You don't have to do good things. But you'll love doing good things. It's good. And this passage, it holds hands with a completely other passage that's found in the gospel of M-A-T-T-H-E-W. Matthew. All right. So it comes in Matthew uh, 6. And in Jesus says this. He says, Do not store up treasures for yourself here on earth where the moss and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where the moss and vermin do not destroy and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also." So every time I heard this passage growing up, I, I, I kind of always thought this passage you know, was talking about a different time. And you know, like, so if I sacrificed today, you know, and I was really boring today, 
today, you know, I was poor today, and if I was uh, had a sweetheart today, that in heaven, after I die, the whole pie in the sky after I die idea, then I will be rich, and I will be awesome, and, and the angels will think I'm super cool. But today, I sacrifice for after I die die. It's, 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 there seems to be like this idea that, that this passage is all about time. I sacrifice here on earth, so, so after I'm in heaven, then I will be rich, and I'll have tons of treasure there. But this passage isn't about time. In f- fact, this passage is about place. This passage is not about time. It is about a place. This passage is not about time. It's not about sacrificing today for something you can have tomorrow. But it is about place. It is about specifically the place of the kingdom of earth and the place of the kingdom of heaven. The place of the kingdom of earth and the place of the kingdom of heaven. The two of these exist at the same time. They aren't different times. They're the same time. This passage is about place, the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. And Christ, his gospel radiates in this idea that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven has come, is here, and is coming. And the church has an active participatory role in building it. Right? That the kingdom of heaven has come, is here, and is coming. And the church has a very active participatory role in building it. And in this passage, Jesus is talking about do not store up your treasures in the kingdom of earth or your kingdom or the things that are about you, but store up your treasures in the kingdom of heaven. And whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, it is not the pie in the sky after you die. It is something he's bringing. It's something that he's proclaiming. It's something that he's ushering in. It's something that you participate in. And it's this beautiful thing. It's this beautiful thing that he causes a separation to say there is a kingdom of earth. And there is a kingdom of heaven. And these two things are different. Because the kingdom of earth is all about you and the things that, that you want to build. And oftentimes, whenever we sit down and we think about our goals and the things that we're going to do and hope for and achieve, it often comes from the standpoint of the kingdom of earth. How do I build the kingdom that I am building? How do I build my importance? How do I build my own kingdom? And time after time after time, we always see that it is unfulfilling. We always see the bigger that our kingdoms are, the more unfulfilling it is. And Jesus brings this other kingdom, this kingdom of heaven, where things are different. The things are different in the kingdom of heaven. It is not this passage of time. It is this passage of place that he's saying, do not store up things here, but store up things here. What if the church and the people of the church and the disciples of Christ and you as followers of Christ and lovers of Christ have the opportunity to begin to 
build heaven? What if you had the opportunity to invest in the coming of heaven? What if you had the opportunity to help usher in the kingdom that Christ says has come, is here, and will come? What if you had the opportunity to be a part of, in a big, big way, the things that people are hoping for? The hope of the earth, the hope of people, the salvation of people. And this is a huge thing. The problem is, is that we often find ourselves in between the two kingdoms. Because our kingdoms are very, very real to us. But the kingdom of heaven, that seems, that just seems so far out there. But deep in our heart, we know it's true. And we know that the things that Christ talks about are true. That he has ushered in this new reality and he asks us to take part in it. And whenever we find ourselves between the two kingdoms, seeing our kingdom and how things have been, you know, 2010, 2011, 2013, 2014, and it's not getting any better and then, then we see this kingdom that Christ brings. And we see this kingdom that Christ brings. And it kind of creates this idea of what would it be like if? What would it be like if heaven crashed into earth? What would it be like if, if Jesus was king here? What would it be like if pain was healed? What would it be like if if people found joy? What would it be like to be totally fulfilled? Whenever you compare the kingdom of heaven compared to the kingdom of earth, you start to understand that the kingdom that you have and the kingdom that you have fought for is not really that important. In fact, as this passage talks about, this is temporary and the things that we built up here can be eaten and destroyed or hoarded and taken taken away. And so all of a sudden, these things that we have been trying to keep and hang on to and grow and to build seem not that important at all. And for me, I find contentment in saying these things are not that great. The things that my heartbeat has often gone after do not find fulfillment. And I can be content in that. But the thing that happens then is I find myself pointing at the kingdom of heaven. I find myself pointing at the kingdom of heaven and saying, but I want that. But I want that. And so all of a sudden, that idea of being content turns to discontentment. But it's a holy discontentment. Right? It is a holy discontentment because whenever people are content in their own kingdoms and saying this does not bring fulfillment and they point at the kingdom of heaven and say but I want that it all of a sudden begs the question what does it take for that kingdom to crash into this kingdom and what would it be like if that invaded this and all of a sudden I am discontent in the kingdoms that I have. And I am discontent in how the earth goes. And I am discontent in all the things that everyone else seems to be content in. I am discontent. And for me, I believe that there is power in being discontent. Thomas 
Addison actually said that discontent is the first thing that anyone has to have to initiate progress. And in fact, Bill Hybels, the pastor out in Chicago, he says, a holy discontent is whenever the hearts of people and the heart of God is aligned in the things that frustrate both heaven and earth and cause action. Whenever you see what the kingdom of heaven is and you hold it up to the kingdom of earth, if it does not cause a discontentment, there is a problem. But whenever there is a discontentment, a holy discontentment that is breathed, your heart begins to come alive. Discontentment breathed from the the alignment of God is the place that your passions come from. It's the place that your dreams come from. It's the place that your purpose comes from. It isn't chasing contentment. It is aligning your heart with God and being frustrated with the things that cause him to be frustrated. What would that be like for you to invest your heart, your time, your finances, and your very purpose in the aligning of your heart and God's heart in the coming kingdom? in the things that don't add up here. A holy discontentment, it isn't just a pet peeve. It isn't people that eat slow or, or, or drive poorly. Or The holy discontentment is something that grabs you by the throat and picks you up and you say, no, this is not okay. This is enough. It's the thing that causes your your heart to beat, put tears in your eyes and say, if the kingdom of heaven was here, this would not happen. If God was here, if heaven was here, and the, the, then you, you totally realize that you are feeling God's heartbeat within your chest. This is not okay. What would it be like? Have you ever felt an alignment between your heart and God's heart in something that frustrates the both of you? Have you ever felt a connection between your heart and God's heart about something that frustrates both heaven and earth? And have you ever acted on it? Because the people that do, those are those that change lives. And it's birthed out of this holy discontentment that is birthed out of, I am done building my kingdom And I want to invest everything in God's kingdom. And this kingdom and this kingdom do not add up. In fact, God, may your kingdom come. This is how Christ asks us to pray, is it not? It is begging the kingdom to come, ordering the kingdom to come, pleading with the kingdom to come. Because here we are here, and this will never change unless the kingdom comes. Who prays that prayer? The people with holy discontent with how things are. May your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. Give me just enough food for today, but bring your kingdom. I have enough. 
What would it be like for your heart and God's heart to align in something that frustrates the both of you and for you to be on the same team and act on it together? Because there had to be a point. There had to be a point that 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 tiny chubby kid in his backpack and his hat, there had to be a point that the holy discontent in his heart began to speak out. Because you know, out of 5,000 people, he's there, they're all following Christ. He has his backpack and hat backwards and his French baguette popping out. You know he's not the only one who had food. You know he's not the only one who's, who, who prepared. Other people had food. But you know he came to a point that he said, I have enough. And he saw something that frustrated the disciples and frustrated Jesus himself. That was simply, people are hungry. You also know that this boy knew that, that, that his five French baguettes weren't going to go far. And his two tilapia were not going to go far. But he was going to give whatever he had. Because this, people being hungry, is not okay. And so he brings his backpack And he gives the whole thing. He gives all of it. And for me, there's a huge heart posture there because he packed that backpack full. He was a hungry little boy. And so so for him to give all of it, saying, I had enough. Show me what heaven's like. And then Christ takes the bread and he blesses it. And then they began to pass it out. And evidence of heaven breaks through. Evidence of heaven breaks through. And out of 7,000 calories, 5,000 people eat. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. And it all began with this boy who said, I want to do good things. I have enough. I want to share. I'm going to be generous with the things that I have. Here, Jesus Take this and do something awesome. I mean, what did the boy expect? I don't know, but he definitely didn't expect that. And I'm sure he was blessed by how awesome of of an example of heaven breaking through that was. And it all started with his heartbeat of saying, I have enough, but other people do not have. So, what would it be like for us to do the same thing? What do we do in the gap between our kingdom and God's kingdom? What do we do with the possible frustration that's in our hearts of how things are and how things should be? The tension, the alignment, the, the calling of our own flesh compared to the, the calling of the spirit and what is to come. I believe just like the chubby kid, it begins to, we have to begin to recognize the holy discontent in our hearts. You have to know what your own personal holy discontent is. I can't tell you, here it is. Here's what it ought to be. You could each have a completely different holy discontent. And that is a beautiful, good thing. 
You need to know what it is and begin to stand up and say, this is something I'm going to invest in. And this is something I'm going to be generous in. And this is something I'm going to share in. And I'm going to be active in above and beyond the kingdom that I have been trying to build. It is important for us to find our hearts aligned with the actual heart of God. For him to feel our hearts and for us to feel his. And feel like we are on the same team in generosity, in sharing, in the crashing of heaven into what, what often seems to be our own hell. This is a beautiful thing. And it comes with just the simple idea of this year, this day, this hour, I am going to do good things. This day, this hour, this year, this month, I am going to practice generosity. This day, this hour, this month, this year, I am going to share with people. This is what I am going to do. And then put it in the hands of Christ and say, do awesome things with this. Do awesome things with the things that I'm giving. It is not a... It isn't a lot. It's 7,000 calories. And in fact, I can't think of you actually doing anything awesome with this at all. But blow my mind and bring heaven. May your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Just give me the things I need today. And give it to Christ. Because he is the expert on holy discontent. His very coming here. He came because of a holy discontent. We have an active God who did not stay up in heaven as he saw the kingdom of the earth falling apart and sin separating. He looked down on the earth and he said, this is not okay. Something has to happen with this. Someone has to stand up for this, sacrifice for this. Something has to atone for this, and that is me. And so he was a God who understands fully what holy discontent is. And he is an act of God who did not wait on us to come towards him and to be perfect. No, he came down towards us. He pursued us. He chased us down. It was like the more the earth fell, the quicker, the harder, the more he came, the more active he pursued. The further we got, the more he came. We have a God who chases us down with love because he is discontent in being apart from those he loves. Mm -hmm. May his church feel the same discontent and pursue and be active and bleed for people. Christ understands holy discontent and his his cross is the very thing that stood between the two kingdoms. Because he knew that there must be a sacrifice for this to invade this. Jesus invites us to to join in to his discontent with having people apart from him, having pain, having injustice, having suffering. He invites us in. This is his body. This is his church. And this could be 2015. What would it be like for us to be active participants in the kingdom that Christ came to bring. 
what would it be like for us to be active participants, investors, contributors, people who had heartbeats for the kingdom that Jesus died on the cross for? What would it be like for us to actually have a hand in the kingdom of God? And this is exactly what, what Paul is talking about when he says, this is life that is actually L-I-F-E, life. All right, this is what it is. It is being an active participant in the kingdom of God, sharing, doing amazing things, and being generous with each other, inviting people in. So what would happen if heaven was actually inviting you to come out and play? What would it be like if Jesus was, ask, was actually asking you to physically do what he is doing? And it isn't just some hypothetical idea of just believe in me, but actually walk with me. Do what I'm doing. This, is, this could be us. What would it be like if the heart of God and your heart came together as one? And felt the same pains, felt the same joys, felt the same frustrations of how things are and how things could be. What would it be like for you to intentionally tell yourself, in your goals, 2015 is not going to be about building my own kingdom, building my own goals, building my own self, but it is going to be about building the kingdom of heaven. It's about taking off the backpack, opening it up, and saying, this is all I got. Build something with this. What would it be like in 2015 if you intentionally told yourself, I am going to intentionally do good things, and I want to participate in good things for people. What would it be like if you as a person in 2015 intentionally said, I'm going to practice being generous with other people, and I'm going to invest in the things that I care about, that my heart is broken for, and that I get excited about, and it seems like no one else does. What would it be like if you invest invested in, in, in the internal frustrations of your heart and God's heart. What would that be like? What would it be like if you could actually experience joy and happiness in this upcoming year and do something different than you always have been, already knowing that it's not going to pan out how you had hoped? What would it be like to participate in the activities of heaven and the very thing that Christ came down to bring? Because whenever we start asking these questions about what would it be like to participate in the kingdom of heaven, all of a sudden our bank accounts don't seem so empty. And all of a sudden I don't feel like I'm so 
chubby anymore. And all of a sudden, the things that I had been passionate about in building my own kingdom, it has shifted and it's focused on the prayer of the saints that they pray over and over and over again. God, bring heaven, bring your kingdom. May your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. And this begins our heartbeat. Whenever we start to ask these questions, we begin to go down the path of the discipleship of Christ and the joys and the hope and and the journey that he invited us on long, long ago. And this is a thing that few have been trying to find for a very, very, very long time. Pray with me. Oh God, the place that we often are and the place that your kingdom is, it often feels so far away. God, we thank you for who you are and the grace you bring and the kingdom that you are so passionate about. God, we thank you for the sacrifice that you are and the sacrifice you ask us to be. God, we thank you that that our kingdom won't ever be enough because heaven is coming. God, help us, help us to understand your heart for us. Shape our heart, mold our heart to help us anticipate, hope for, bring, invest in, dream about what it would be like if heaven crashed into earth. God, teach us to care for other people. God, help us to quit thinking about ourselves always. God, help us to dream again. God, help us to believe that you will do the things you say you will do. God, help us to believe in you. God, help us to dream the dreams you dream. Help us to love the things that you love, hate the things that you hate, and be frustrated with the things that bring you frustration. And invite us to be active in the things that you do God, we love you and we thank you that you pursue us and you chase us down. God, I ask that 
you speak to our hearts, bringing up the things, the passions and the dreams that have been buried for so long. Breathe into them. Cause them to be come back to life. God, bring heaven. Bring your kingdom. You are holy. May your kingdom come. And thank you for having us be a part of it.